Welcome to Legal Nurse Podcast, where you will get tips to expand your legal nurse consulting skills. Every week, you'll hear from experts from within and outside of legal nurse consulting. They will share their knowledge to help you grow. Your show is moderated by Pat Iyer, a legal nurse consultant with 30 years experience. So join our community, sit back, relax, and get ready to learn. Here's Pat. Welcome back to Legal Nurse Podcast. I'm Pat Iyer, and I have with me today a nurse who's experienced in wound ostomy continence nursing, Terea Rodriguez. She is the owner and founder of Agni New York and Consulting Services. She works in her New York City office and is a legal nurse consultant and well-versed in some of the nuances of wound care, particularly the ones that can end up in litigation. I invited her to come onto the podcast to share some of her expertise with you from the perspective of being a person involved in nursing practice, patient education, giving direct care, looking at quality improvement, and documentation. She has expertise in both inpatient and outpatient care related to wound ostomy and continence nursing. Welcome to the show, Terea. Thank you for having me. One of the questions that may come up for a legal nurse consultant who is asked to find an expert witness in wound care is, I see these initials after people's names. They all seem like kind of the same. Tell us about the differences in the approaches to become prepared to call yourself a certified wound care nurse. Okay, so I'm going to break it down into a couple of things. And the first one is about the just the initials in general. So you may see a nurse that has uh, CWOCN, which is a certified wound ostomy continence nurse. That means that they've been board certified through the wound ostomy continence nursing board. And the other is you might see like a CWS certified wound, you know, specialist. That's another type of certification through a, another accrediting board. There are three accrediting boards that I'd like to mention, and each of them has a different criteria. I won't go into too much detail, but I'll try to, you know, give a, a good overview so the nurses can understand or anyone who's looking for a legal nurse consultant. Uh, I mean, a uh, expert in wound ostomy and continence care. So one of the first certification is through Wound Ostomy Continence Nursing Board. They're the oldest established um, board certifying out there. They they came around in like around 1978. Now they certify in wound ostomy continence and foot care, and they give board accreditation. They also have a credit credentialing for advanced practice. Um, nurses, they can get credentialed under the wound ostomy continence care as well. Then they also have been accredited by three boards. One is the Accreditation Board of Specialty Nursing Certification. The other one is um, the Certificate Programs of NCAA. And then they've been accredited by uh, programs for education programs. Now you have another accrediting board called NAWCO. 
the National Alliance of Wound Care and OSME, they came around in 2002. They only provide credentialing in wound, OSME, and low extremity, like such as lymphedema. And they're open to LVNs, physicians, and other healthcare professionals. The third one, which is ABWM, is the American Board of Wound Management. They were established in 1995. They also offer three um, areas of uh, certification, but it's only in wounds for physicians, nurses, and wound care associates, which could be like LVNs or uh, physical therapists. So the, the differentiating factor between the three of them is that WOCMB only takes RNs. One, two, they do all three specialties, including foot care. So they do wound, ostomy, and continence care, and they do foot care. And the other thing is, is that NAW, um, NAWCO, the National Alliance of Wound Care and Ostomy, they only do wound and ostomy and lymphedema. The other thing to remember is, is that NAW and then ABWM only does wounds. NAWCO and ABWM are the two credentialing boards that will take across the board, LVNs, physical therapists, physicians, and nurses. And in the final nutshell of it all, WONCB is the gold standard when it comes to wound care. So when someone asks, what is the gold standard, you know, when it comes to accreditation, WOCMB, Wound Ostomy Continence Nursing Board, is the gold standard. So then we, and then you have WTA. So WTA is someone who has gotten training under someone who's been board certified, and then they receive a certificate. So for instance, I've worked in a wound care clinic with, um, with techs, but they can get the WTA training but they're not board certified. They've had training under a WOCN and then they're called wound, you know, and so they've gone to this wound treatment, you know, associate program. And so it says that they've had this clinical training, they are equipped to perform wound care and assist, but they're not, you know, it's not a board certified. It's like 16 clinical hours under, you know, direct supervision of a wound care expert. So when, when you're asking, it's nice to ask them, how did you have your training? Where did you get certified? Because even the admission criteria, and I'll just stick with the gold standard just because, you know, this is, it's a little bit easier because everyone has their own standard for admission. To, for the WOCN um, to get be board certified by WOCNB, you have to go to a, a WOC education program. So for instance, like Cleveland, or Emory, they have a wound education program. But the criteria to get in is you have to be an RN with a baccalaureate degree or higher. You have to have one year of clinical nursing following your RN licensure. You also have to have been practicing for five years prior to the application into the program. And then you have to have documentation of um, clinical experience within the last five years that are current. So inactive. It can't be five years ago and then I become an inactive and then now I want to apply. No, you have to be actively practicing before you apply into the program. 
So that's the difference. And that's when it comes to training and certification. So, and then you have, um, and so it's understanding the differences between those. Well, what I take from that, Terea, is that there's a somewhat bewildering variety of ways <laughs> to become a wound ostomy continence nurse, several different programs with different criteria. It would be clear if you're a legal nurse consultant asked to find an expert and the other side has an expert already is that you've got to make sure that your wound care nurse is credentialed at the same level or higher in order to avoid having attacks on that person's credibility, your own expert's credibility. And it also sounds like that there are multiple ways to share this information with varying lengths of programs. So that's a real clear distinction. And I'm glad that you helped us think through all these different resources for preparing people to work in this field. As we think about litigation, then, then one of the questions that typically comes up is, who is the defendant? What is this defendant alleged to be negligent about? The defendant could be a facility person, uh, you know, like an in inpatient nurse who becomes a defendant in the care of a wound, or it could be a wound care specialist himself or herself who is the defendant. What are some of the, the common mistakes that can develop in this area that can lead to litigation, specifically for wound care management? Okay, so every, every hospital has a different policy. And given that every hospital has a different policy, understanding what is the policy and the role of the wound care nurse within the facility. M most hospitals, and I've worked at quite a few, and, it's, and the thing is, is that our role and our scope of practice when we um, exit the program is the understanding that we're consultants. We're not the lay worker. We're there to consult. In a sense of the wound care nurse comes to the bedside she has received a consult. She's, she checks out the wound, writes her recommendations for whatever is going on with the patient. And if the physician is in agreement, then they, they start the practice, you know, whatever it is that she's suggested. And then you educate the nurse who's going to provide the care. And then the day-to-day -day care is provided by the bedside nurse. But the wound care nurse will come back and check. Now, unfortunately, sometimes what happens is, is that you'll have hospitals where it's blurred about who does what. And the expectation is that the wound care nurse is supposed to do the care at all times. And so the thing is, is that clear, clarifying the role of the wound care nurse, not only just amongst um, the physicians, but with the bedside nurses as well, because it's that, it's that fine line of who's going to stage, what are you going to document, and who's held accountable, right? So they'll have, I'll give an example. You'll have a patient that, have, that comes in and they have a pressure injury. And the thing is, is that they'll call the wound care nurse 
and she'll come and give this, you know, whatever her recommendation is, she'll do the initial assessment. But then the expectation is for, as a consultant, the expectation is that the nurse will perform the day-to-day care. Then let's say that, you know, it goes south. Something happens, you end up in litigation, then the lawyer calls and then they said, oh, well, you're the wound care nurse, aren't you supposed to be, you know, caring for the wound? And no, you're only the consultant, but you're not doing the day-to-day care. Oh, well, the nurse said that the wound care nurse is the one who's providing the care. And so this is where it becomes, you see this often in a lot in a lot of facilities. It doesn't matter if it's a nursing home or a BA or just a, in a private, you know, practice that because there's no clear understanding of who does what and what is expected between each of them. So defining that. And so if you're in a litigation, you have to know what is the defining role for that wound care nurse and for the RN. Another um, issue that comes up quite frequently is about treatment plans. Who trumps who? So you have a wound. So when you create a team and you have, you know, your wound care nurse and then the physician and, and the wound care nurse comes out, if the wound care nurse writes her suggestion, but the surgeon decides on something else and it's written in the chart, then it trumps whatever the wound care nurse states. So then if you go to litigation and I've seen it happen, the expectation is, oh, it's the wound care, the wound care nurse is held accountable. But the thing is, is that the physician trumps whatever the wound care nurse says, because he is the provider for that patient. And so if it's documented, and that's the importance about having documentation, because you'll see, and that's another issue that is problematic in wound care. Everybody documents differently, and there's a lot of inconsistencies in the documentation. And so it's, and having that, you know, consistency across the board with the documentation, if there's a template that the facility offers and the facility should be following, you know, to follow the template, whatever it is, or um, having when nurses are at the bedside, definitely documenting what they see, even if they don't make any kind of, they say, oh, it's black. I saw a black spot on the back. It's still a documentation, but it, they miss the boat. And so when everybody ends up in litigation, it's all confusing at the end and then it becomes like a a finger pointing, you know, blame game. And to finalize it is understanding about product choices. And so sometimes you see mistakes in how products are used. That's the other part of it. You know, everybody has to understand how to use a product because if there's a lot of products in wound care, each one is different and each one provides something, you know, um, based on whatever whatever's going on with the wound. But this is one of the biggest issues is not understanding how to use a product. And so that's where the education comes back into play. And I could see how that could be an issue in facilities that are not fortunate enough to have a wound care consult service available because they're not present everywhere, and certainly not present within the United States everywhere, as well as in some of the countries where we have listeners may have no wound care service. So within it relies on the bedside nurse to use those products properly. And the physician who is 
writing the orders or nurse practitioner who's writing the orders for the care. Yeah, that could be an issue. I know that sharp debridement is um, one of the things that I have focused on in looking at medical records. I've spent a lot of time summarizing medical records to explain the pain and suffering that the patient went through. And whenever I see notes about sharp debridement, it gives me a little bit of chills because I think about cutting away until you get to viable tissue and what that must feel like for the patient. Can you tell us about when sharp debridement should be done and when the providers should not be doing sharp debridement? Before we continue with the show, I'd like to share this special announcement with you. As in a bad marriage, words that should never have been paired get stuck together. These pairings will weaken your writing. They can be deadly if you're trying to impress readers with facts. In general, they weaken all varieties of writing. Painless editing and proofreading for LNCs, a step-by-step -step guide, has many examples of words that you can painlessly delete from your text. I'm Pat Iyer, an experienced LNC who's been writing reports for attorneys since 1987. Here are some common examples of unnecessary words. Free gift. No, I'm sorry to shout, but this is the worst of the worst. And it's creeping like fungus into the wording of countless offers. Use gift or free, no exceptions. Or for truth in advertising, if the gift isn't free, write some strings attached, which no one wrote or ever will. My personal belief is if it's yours, it's personal. The same applies to saying my own. The use of personal or own implies a need to make sure your claim is clear. Plan ahead. Have you ever planned behind? Protest against. A protest communicates that one is opposed. You don't need to say against. This is different from using the word argue since you can argue either for or against. Unexpected surprise. What is an expected surprise? You're absolutely certain. Certainty is its own absolute. Absolutely, the verb should be avoided. As an adjective, it should be used with caution. It was an absolute victory. That would mean that the victory was unquestionable. Actual experience or actual fact. Actual is generally a tricky word. People use it to give emphasis to something as being real. However, this was my actual experience doesn't make it even more believable. In a similar vein, a fact is a fact. It has been confirmed as true. Postpone until later. This is a lot like plan ahead. No one postpones until earlier. You'll learn the art of lean editing in painless editing and proofreading for LNCs. Get it at lnc.tips forward slash creating series.
now let's return to the show. Okay, so just so people who don't understand, you know, sharp debridement is the removal of necrotic tissue. And there's different types of sharp debridement. And I just want to clarify is that you have conservative sharp debridement, which can be done by nurses who are trained, such as wound care nurses. And a conservative sharp debridement can be done at the bedside, can be done in a clinic setting. And it's the use of perhaps like a curette. It's a stick. It has a little circle in it. And then you can remove, you know, devitalized tissue. Then you have surgical sharp debridement, which is done in the OR. And it's under, you know, a regulated area. The patient receives anesthesia. They might do it with water and um, or a traditional sharp uh, instrument. And that's done with the physician in the OR. The thing is, is when it comes to debridement, knowing the patient's status before you go into starting a sharp debridement is important. So you're looking at labs, you're looking at like bleeding. Are they going to be, you know, have bleeding issues, checking for infections, and even stable S sharp. So since it is the removal of um, the sources for sepsis, mainly like necrotic tissue. And that's one indication for sharp debridement. Another one is like a local infection. If you have bio burden, sometimes you'll see a wound and it's really shiny. And then that's called bio burden. So you can use the curette in a clinic setting to remove the bio burden. Another is for like collecting deep cultures. If you wanna do a deep culture. And then, or just to stimulate the wound bed. If a wound is stalled, you can do a sharp debridement for just to stimulate it, to get it back into its active stage so then it, you can start up the healing process again. Because sometimes wounds do get stalled. The thing about conservative sharp debridement, it has to be done by someone who's clinically trained. And this is important. It can't just be done by any nurse at the bedside. So um, if the... And you have to be signed off on it. That's the other thing. Yeah, when you're, and so the, every hospital has a different protocol, but across the board, the person has to be trained for it. When they do sharp debridement, the contraindication behind it is, let's say you have a patient that has ischemia or you have a patient that has um, active um, underlying infection that's not being treated with antibiotics. That's another area. Um, or you have a dry SR. Let's say you have a dry SR that doesn't have an infection in it on the heel. You're not going to debride that. It's actually a protective layer um, for that area. So if it's dry, stable SR, we don't debride um, that because we know that that's that protective cap over the, the, the pressure injury that's there. The other is if a pyoderma gangrenosum. So a lot, um, if people who don't know what pyoderma um, is related to, it's an inflammatory response. And when you debride it, it actually, instead of helping it, it makes it get bigger. It proliferates and it's, it's really um, kind of nasty. You see it a lot in arthritic patients or people who have um, Crohn's disease or any type of inflammatory issue, underlying inflammatory issue. 
So understanding what kind of wound it is before you even start the debridement is important. And pyoderma gangrenosum is a really is really one of those types that you have to watch. And septicemia, patients who are who are septic, that's another one. And if they're not under strong antibiotics, the or then then that's another because you end up risking for bacteremia. So getting bacteremia can lead to sepsis and then mortality within a patient. So that's another reason why you really want to be cautious and talk with your team before doing any type of debridement. And it's it's really good because then you get, so when it comes to that, you can say, okay, we're going to see a patient. We want to do a debridement. We think that this is going to help. Before anything gets done, you talk to infectious disease, you're talking to the provider, and then you have your wound care nurse, and then whoever else has to come into play. And then they decide as a team whether or not this is a, a good decision for the patient. So that those are pretty much, I mean, it's not concrete because wound care is not concrete in general. So if a patient comes into clinic, for instance, and you see devitalized tissue, but you know that they don't have um, a running infection, you could use a curette, you know, because you're trying to get it out, out of a uh, stalled state and you want to remove the bio burden. But then again, if you have another patient that comes into clinic that has the infection or is running a fever, you say, well, you know what? I don't know if you have, have what kind of infection. It might just be localized, but you have like a fever or the area is red and around the borders then you'll take a pause and say, well, maybe we should do cultures first and then before we you know, do the debridement. So there's that's the thing about wound care. There's nothing concrete. Every day is different. What I see today won't be for tomorrow. And the treatment that I use today may not work tomorrow because a wound changes every single day, depending on what's going on with the body and the external factors too. If you have a patient that sits a lot or lacks movement and there's, you know, poor blood flow, or now they're out and it's hot and it's, you're in a humid environment, location makes a difference. I mean, all those things play its part. And then the next to the last question I have for you is that we know that sharp debridement has certain advantages and certain contraindications Tell us about the alternative of doing chemical debridement. So chemical debridement is great. So an example is collagenase. Um, the reason why is because it's painless. It's a cream. You, you'll have like a cream of some sort. And it's great for patients who have low tolerance to pain. Collagenase is slow acting. Um, these chemical debriders, it, it can be slow acting. Unlike a sharp debridement, it's a quick, you, it's right there at the moment. Um, this one is a little bit slower. And so hospice patients, some you'll see it often in a hospice patient, they'll use a chemical debrider. And I mean, the best part about it is that it is painless and it's good for you know patients that have low tolerance for withstanding sharp debridement. Because even when you put a localized um, topical anesthetic, you know, just to numb the area for sharp debridement, uh, it's still kind of painful for a patient. 
the more superficial a wound is, the more painful it becomes. It's like a paper cut. You have a paper cut and you you swear you're dying, right? But the deeper the wound, because the nerve endings have been damaged, then they don't feel it. You can have a wound that comes probably all the way down to the elbow. They're not going to feel, you know, that kind of pain in comparison to like a little paper cut. And it's like, oh, I'm dying over here and, and stuff like that. So it's definitely, you know, it's the chemical debriders are good. And with the chemical debrider, you can use it in conjunction with a sharp debridement. So you can go in, you can do a sharp debridement, and then you can say, okay, now we're going to use the collagenase behind it. I get the sense in talking to you, Terea, that we could spend the next four hours talking about wound care and we would get like <laughs> a half of a centimeter <laughs> below the surface of what you know. Tell our listener how they can get in touch with you. You provide expert services in wound care management. What would be the best way for them to connect with you? The best way to connect with me is on LinkedIn. With the LinkedIn, you can see what I'm up to. I have articles on there that I've written. And you can actually message me through my LinkedIn. And you can even click and set up like a 30-minute free consultation just to chat about whatever. And so it's under my first and last name, Terrera Rodriguez. It's T-H-U-R-E-I-Y-Y-A. And the last name is Rodriguez, R-O-D-R-I-G-U-E-Z. Thank you so much. I appreciate your knowledge and what you've brought to this podcast. You've shed light on a lot of issues for us, including certification, different types of treatments, some of the common mistakes in wound care management. And I know that this information will be very useful for our legal nurse consultant listener. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. And for you who's watching this program on our YouTube channel on Legal Nurse Business or listening wherever you get audio podcasts, be sure to hang on for a few more minutes and find out who is coming up next. You can also come to my website at podcast.legalnursebusiness.com and get the show notes See the links to Terea's social media profiles and also request the transcripts of our show. We love to have you take advantage of that, especially when you think about all of the great information that you heard in the beginning of this podcast on all those different organizations and types of certifications. It would be nice to be able to see that in writing. You can also, at that site, request our bundles of podcasts, which are the best of our shows in certain categories, and receive four of those podcast shows as a bundle that you can click through and watch or listen to. Be sure to hang around for what's coming up next, and I'll see you on the next podcast. Coming up next, you're going to have an opportunity to hear from a nurse practitioner who has done expert work for about 10 years and is skilled at pulling apart the nurse practitioner's office notes, looking for the information that would help her determine if this person followed the standard of care. Rebecca Pichelle 
is a family nurse practitioner who is our next guest on Legal Nurse Podcast. Rebecca, we just finished recording your podcast, and I'd love it if you would tell our listener, what were some of the topics that we covered in your show? Hi, Pat. Yes, I do hope that the listeners turn uh, tune in to listen to what we talked about today. We went over what I look for in the medical record to determine whether the nurse practitioner followed the standard of care and to determine whether there was negligence. We talked specifically about nurse practitioner documentation. We go into great detail about soap notes and what should be there and how to look through the record to determine um, what may be missing. And also we talk about how nurse practitioners should really hone in on making very strong diagnoses to prevent litigation. There is a lot of litigation involving nurse practitioners. And as an LNC, you'll want to be sure to listen to what Rebecca has to say. Coming up next on Legal Nurse Podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Check out Pat Iyer's resources for legal nurse consultants on LegalNurseBusiness.com. Pat coaches legal nurse consultants so they make more money, get more clients, and avoid expensive mistakes. Check out her coaching program at lncacademy.com. Please subscribe to our podcast and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Join our community to get notified of each new episode and to receive the transcript of today's program. Complete the request form on podcast.legalnursebusiness.com. We appreciate you and your interest.